Hey, this is MG from the Reset Race Podcast, where we discuss race, politics, economics, and reparations. We wanted to let you know that we've started a Patreon. So to support us over there, please go to www.patreon.com slash Reset Race Network. Again, www.patreon.com slash Reset Race Network. Thanks. We'll see you over there. Like today I got time because oh, that everybody that there are people who argue we're always putting black issues on the back burner. Yes, the number are. one black mm-hmm. issue to me is the climate because we no, can't. No, it's not. Li- no, it's not. Because we don't have enough power to control what's going on with that shit. Mm-mm. We need money. If you give us money, we can put our money with the white activists who actually give a fuck about the climate and we can help them fight for the climate. Right now, all we can do is kind of show up. And when we show up, they get beat up more because there's too many Negroes around. On a planet that is uninhabitable to humans. So that's the first thing we got to address. I don't give a fuck. Then I hope this bitch burn. We, like JB said, Let we it need burn. universal health care. We need, you know, we need a, a living wage for everyone. And here's my thing. Like we do. You say living wage, but you're not saying federal job guarantee. And they didn't bring up federal job guarantee in this thing. I didn't hear him bring it up. All of I these might social wrong, programs. And then we get reparations. Mm-hmm. We'll be in a way better place. How about you do them at the same time? Why does reparations have to come last? And when I say do them at the first time, I mean sign the reparations bill and then with the same pen at the same desk, right after sign the bullshit for everybody else. But again, white people about to get this money. So I vote, we wait till 2053 to do the great well chance. see, look, let me tell you this shit, I don't know. I need some good whites to start getting in the comments because I was rooting for you but this great wealth transfer, I need I need the 40 million poor whites to holler at a bitch because you other motherfuckers, I'm about to start a class war on you motherfuckers. We about to ride out. <laughs> we gonna ride out. It's gonna be a class war on whites and people of color. Mm, I, 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 it's, it's, it's something, there's something, there is a, cause I had the same, This I get the same vibe from them that I got from, uh, Mark Thompson and no, no, oh, Mark yeah. Thompson and the and the Pan Africanists is like, yeah, feel that they, they there's some sort of insecurity or or something that makes them feel responsible that makes them think that they're worth they're less they're worth less than other people, right? Or their uplift has less value than the uplift of other people. Therefore. I can put my uplift on the back burner and sling myself on the cross because you white folks or whoever the fuck it is, the rest of Pan-Africa or Pangea, whatever the fuck they want to call it at this point, are more important than I am. And me on the cross, I'm going to I'm going to put my family on a back burner, I'm going to put my people on a back burner. I'm going to watch black children starve until everybody else is fixed. Fuck a you. What is it you wanted me to reconcile myself to? I was born here almost 60 years ago. I'm not going to live another 60 years. You always told me it takes time. It has taken my father's time, my mother's time, my uncle's time, my brother's and my sister's time, my nieces and my nephew's time. 
How much time do you want for your progress? Not even that, not even that. We are going to give up our fight that was started by our ancestor, Callie House, mm -hmm. after she got out of slavery petitioning for slave pensions, where she got locked up and put in jail. We are supposed to stop a fight that started in 1865 to fix motherfuckers who most of you motherfuckers just got here. And I mean you Ellis Island motherfuckers. If you mm -hmm. came after 1865, I'm talking about you. Mm -hmm. All of y'all. So you want us to put our shit on the back burner when you fuckers who came after 1865, white and people of color have been oppressing black people for generations. And we are supposed to stop our reparations fight so you can get a leg up. You got me fucked up. I'll fight with you for us all to get our shit as in I get my reparations and we fight for the class shit together. But if you got to come before me, fuck you and fuck your family. Like I'd be telling with the POC, fuck you, fuck you, fuck your family. Like I said, my God, sisters, my God, sisters are low key, <laughs> no, poor yeah, white trash. No, 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 because my, my God, sisters are poor white trash. I'll fight for them. I'll fight for them. But I'm not fighting for you middle class rich fucks who don't want to fight for me. Fuck you. Hell no, exactly. I ain't doing that. Fuck all this mule and shit. Your Grace, His Holiness the High Septon wishes to speak with you at the Great Sept of Baylor. His Holiness the High Septon is welcome to see me here in the Red Keep. Your Grace, this is not a request. It is a request, Cousin Lancel. You are asking me for something I'm refusing. The High Septon commands you. Are you sure you want to refuse him? He promised me I could stay in the Red Keep until my trial. He made no such promises. If you refuse to come of your own free Get will. Out. Move aside, sir. Order your man to step aside or there will be violence. Uh, 
you tuned in to Reset Reach to find out who really done justice and really who fake. Early edge go back to U.S. Southern plantations. Pennies, Jim Crow, and mass incarceration. Redlining lynchings, we are old from this nation. Not about justice if you ain't for reparations. MG the wise one, cousin mother intellectual. Samantha bringing fire anti-black, we pressing you. No permanent friends and no permanent enemies. The backbone of the country, the win. You need our energy. Go on, see. Listening to Reset Race. You now tuned in to Reset Race. Uh, uh. You're listening to Reset Race. You're now tuned in to Reset Race. Uh, put them back on the grill again. We grilling them. Put them back on the grill again. We grilling them. Put them back on the grill again. We grilling them. Back on the grill again. We grilling them. Uh. You're listening to Reset Race. Adults need reparations to make America great. Uh, you're tuned in to Reset Race. We no longer starving while others eat off our plate. No. You're listening to Reset Race. We focused on our justice plan. We know what is at stake. Uh, you're tuned in to Reset Race. You'll find out who really about justice and really who fake. Uh. So, mm, because... At Reset Race, we are all about facts and data over your fucking feelings. And even my feelings, because I have to record this whole, re-record this whole section. So, because we like to make sure people have the full data before we get out here and talk about anything. So, let's go ahead and get our screen share on. Okay, bam, I'm going to go through this quick. This is from the Center for American Progress. Simulating how progressive proposals affect the racial wealth gap. It was written by Christian E. Weller, Connor Maxwell, and Danielle Solomon, August 7th, 2019. Y'all, Fred Hampton Leftist did this fucking video on July 4th, 2021. Y'all had two years to read this goddamn thing. So here we go. Authors note. Cab uses Black and African-American interchangeably throughout many of, pro- many of our products. We choose to capitalize Black in order to reflect that we are discussing a group of people and to be consistent with the capitalization of African-American. Wealth, a household's assets minus its debts, is the key measure of financial well-being. Unfortunately, the United States is home to a stark and persistent racial disparities in household wealth. Wealth. While various proposals exist in the aim to shrinking the wealth, racial wealth gap, estimates of their long-term effects are limited. So estimates of the long-term effects are limited. A new simulation developed by the Center of American Progress demonstrates how separate proposals implemented today, these fucking proposals that you fucking white liberal racists and you Fred Hampton leftists are pushing in combination or in isolation would, re- re- would reduce the racial disparity in average wealth, total wealth divided by the number of households in the United States by 2060. The simis- simulation specifically tracks white and black couples who are currently beginning their careers and starting to accumulate wealth and compares their total projected household wealth as their retirement. So Jimmy, you keep talking about how class is gonna fix race. It's not, bruh. I need you to fucking get a black economist who knows what the fuck they're talking about that having these Fred Hampton leftists that you like because they're saying the shit that you like, but they're not doing anything for black people. And the shit that you're proposing isn't gonna fix poor white people either. So I need you to step y'all pussy up. So back to what I was saying, interactive, tackling the racial wealth gap. This is a fully interactive menu. Y'all gotta check this out. So wealth, a household's assets 
minus its debt is a key measure of financial well-being. Unfortunately, the United States is home to stark and persistent racial disparities in household wealth. For centuries, American public policy systemically excluded Black households from opportunities to build wealth. Black, not people of color, Black. Black, y'all, I'm Black, y'all, I'm Blackity Black, a Black, Black, y'all, Black. Not people of color. Don't make me pull this fucking chart back up. No, I'll make sure I do so you can see before the 1965 fucking um, Immigration Act, there was not a bunch of y'all people of color here. There was a handful of Chinese people, a handful of Mexicans, and fucking Kamala Harris's parents from fucking Jamaica and India. That's who the fuck was here. Yes, I'm over-exaggerating that shit. But y'all was a speckle. Y'all were not a majority. Quit trying to play like people of color. Quit trying to play like Mexicans and Indians were in the fucking slave fields and cotton fields with us picking cotton. That's not what the fuck happened. The racial wealth gap was created and will only be eliminated by systemic and intentional public policy choices. So let's look at the baseline. Baseline, $1.87 million for white people, $317,000 for black people. White wealth in 2060, 5.9 times more than blacks. Racial wealth gap in 2060, 1.56 million. So this is the bullshit that y'all like to first start with, free college. Free college gives white people more money. The baseline was 1.87 million. So white wealth goes up. Yes, black wealth goes up. So black wealth goes up by 130,000, a little under 130,000, more like 127. White wealth goes up quite a bit more. Or maybe it all goes about the same percent, but the wealth gap persists. This shit isn't closing the wealth gap. So what you're talking about right now, Fred Hampton, let's this y'all on some bullshit and you don't know enough. So either you're a fucking enemy like Brianna Greyjoy who tries to skew the shit on purpose, or you don't know enough, you need to go back to the lab. If you need to go back to the lab, you need to fucking sit down and have a conversation with Sandy Darity. You need to sit down and have a conversation with a black economist. You need to sit down and have people, conversations with people who are actually doing work in this reparations movement. Because right now y'all just poisoned the well and you're a fucking problem. Debt-free college and student debt. For a century, black people have largely denied access to full, even race-neutral programs such as the GI Bill systemically excluded African-Americans and left them with few opportunities. Today, Black people remain less likely to attend and graduate from college. Less than 19% of Native-born Blacks have college degrees. It's Native-born Blacks. That includes your first-generation Ghanaians, Nigerians, all that shit. They're all lumped in. So we don't even know what the numbers are for what it is for, for actual ADOS, American descendants of chattel slavery. When they attend, they are more likely to take on, uh, can take on um, more student debt, which makes it more difficult to, um, to, buy, a, to buy a home. So for Hampton, let's just talk about how we have more medical debt and how we have more student debt. That's because we're fucking poor. So you talk about you wanna be a black capitalist, you're not a black capitalist because we're fucking poor. Y'all need to do more research. Okay, so here we are. So we did debt-free college. We saw that was some bullshit. That ain't gonna do nothing to close the racial wealth gap, right? But okay, but I wish we had all the other bullshit that the Fred Hampton leftists was talking about because they talk about fucking fixing the climate and medical debt. They don't have all this other shit. But let's say frail housing, right? Because I like frail housing. 
So fair housing. <laughs> fair housing, the baseline was 1.87 million. White people still have 1.87 million and black people get a little under 80K. Wealth disparity still 4.7 million. Racial wealth gap will be at 1.48 million. So that's free, that's housing, right? For more than 50 years after prohibition of redlining, blockbusting, and other discriminatory housing practices, Black Americans remain nine times more likely than whites to experience discrimination when trying to buy or rent a home. With additional resources and expanded authority, agencies charged with addressing racial bias in housing can help or boost home ownership and increase access to affordable rental housing, both of which are key vehicles. You saw that shit was less than 80,000. So quit dicking me over. Consumer protections, y'all can look up on your own. Let's do retirement savings because black people save more than their white counterparts who make the same amount of money. So the baseline was 1.87 million. So white people go up to 2 million and we go up a little under 200,000. Again, the racial wealth gap persists and this is giving us retirement savings. White versus black wealth gap goes down to four, four times. Racial wealth gap will still be at 1.52 million. So again, all of your favorites that are suggesting oh, let's just do some free college and let's just do some housing. And the, no, this doesn't fix the racial wealth gap. Fred Hampton left this again. I don't know if you're on some Bree Bree shit, that Brianna Joy Gray shit, where she's just an enemy, or if you guys are just not well-versed enough to know that you are working against our interests. So I'm gonna give y'all the benefit of the doubt, but if you fucked up, y'all need to fix it. If not, I'm gonna look at y'all like a fucking enemy and I'm coming for you like I come for Brianna Joy Gray, like I, or whatever the fuck her name is, like I come for bitch-ass Kyle, like I come for Crystal and Sager with their anti-blackness. Like we hold no punches around this bitch. Let's talk about Baby Bonds, which is Derek Hamilton, Sam and Daddy Darity is one of the things they've worked on. So again, not a bad plan, but it doesn't close the racial wealth gap. White wealth, 2.17 million, which goes up from the baseline of 1.87. The black wealth will go up over 400,000, but there'll still be a racial wealth gap and y'all still owe us 1.3.7 million. So let's just go to all of the things that they have listed. The racial wealth gap will still persist if you do consumer protection, fair housing, debt-free college, retirement savings, and baby bonds. Wealth gap will still be 1.9 times higher for white people than black. The racial wealth gap will still be $1.7 million. Y'all have to pay us reparations. Fred Hampton leftist, you talking about an empty bucket? The bucket with the holes is because we're fucking poor, you dumb motherfuckers. What you're proposing doesn't fix us. This on top of the great wealth transfer, you're basically saying that people should remain a permanent underclass. What you are asking for is not what Fred Hampton wanted. He was black. Again, you are trying to make us a permanent underclass. I don't have time for Mrs. Elliott's problem. Well, you better make time. We are being crucified by a process that is turning blacks into a permanent underclass here, Frank. A permanent underclass. No, no, see, nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody. I'm so mad the first one I recorded this guy didn't fucking take because it was like 30 minutes I was laying into y'all asses. 
everybody go back and read this shit. It's fucking basic. There was something else I wanted to read. The racial wealth gap. Wealth eases the transition between jobs and neighborhoods and provides a cushion in a response to emergencies and during retirement. Wealth is also transferable and allows households to finance their descendants' futures. Wealth also is transferable and allows households to finance their descendants' futures by helping cover the cost of education, a healthy um, a health emergency. That's that fucking bullshit ass healthcare debt that you're talking about, that we have more healthcare debt than anybody else. We have a bunch of student loan debt too. You know why? Because we're fucking poor. If you give us reparations, we won't have this shit or even a down payment on a home. A lot of white people's parents and people of color's parents give them fucking down payments on their homes because they have the extra money in their wealth. We talked about this in the wealth transfer. However, in 2016, the median black, median white household held $171,000 in wealth, almost 10 times more than the median black household, wealth of of $17,600. The median racial wealth gap is more than 150,000 may understate the extent of the disparity between black and white households. The average of a black household was just 139,000, showing a much larger difference of 780,000. Regardless of the method of measuring of wealth, the evidence is clear, a considerable wealth disparity exists between black and white households. Racial disparities in wealth are not results of individuals, families, choices, or rather the result of structural racism in American policy. Many government programs are designed access to home ownership, higher education, fair wages, and union protection have largely benefited white households, allowing them to build a transfer of wealth across generations. While, while black households were systemically excluded as a result of the racial wealth gap persists even after controlling for educational attainment, marital status, age, and income level. In fact, college-educated households have less, have 30% less wealth than median than non-college educated white households. And we know they have less wealth than college drop, white college drop, I mean, white high school dropouts. Without black and without an intervention, these disparities are expected to persist for another 200 years. The black white gap was created and will only in, be eliminated by systemic and intentional policies. Y'all gotta read the rest because I'm losing my voice, but y'all already saw, I'm y'all already saw where there's about to be this, this, um, this great wealth transfer. So the Fred Hampton leftists are basically saying that there's a big wealth distribution problem in this country, but at the same time, white people are about to get their money and they're saying black people shouldn't get theirs. And the wealth, um, the wealth is gonna be exacerbated. And I'm also gonna take a moment to show you what black and white wealth looks like in real numbers. So here we are, this is, this is the median, this is the mean wealth, which is the average, right? So average black family is negative 25,622. White family, negative 11,760, right? Second quintile, 51,118 blacks, 2,398. So Remember the Fred Hansen leftists were talking about this great wealth disparity and how white people and people of color are struggling, right? Y'all see that we have less money than black people. We even have less money than Latinx people who just got here in the 1970s. We've been here for over 400 years. The Fred Hansen leftists want to 
transfer way more money to white people at the same time denying black people. Just look at the numbers. The numbers don't lie. I would read them all off, but my throat is killing me. So let me show you the charts that I made from this so you can really see this in real numbers. So again, the left-handed leftists are talking about how there's this great wealth redistribution and we have to fix that first or else white people will come and kill us. So this is the first, second, and third percentile of the wealth. Let me, let me share my screen again, y'all. Okay, so here's the screen share. So this is the this is the bottom percentile one two and three white and black right because this is a black and white country Latinos sorry y'all literally got here five minutes ago and y'all shouldn't have the same wealth that we had building this country because again I showed y'all this other chart that showed that you people just got here and when I say you people I mean people of color and white people because most white people y'all got here after 1865 too so a lot of y'all are fucking newcomers to me so let's talk about debt right white people in the first these are your Appalachian trailer part whites. They're negative 11,760. Black people are negative 25,622. So you see looking at this chart that we have less money. It's obvious. Now we get into the second percentile. This is, no, sorry, the second quintile. This is quintile, so there's only five. So two, white people are at 51,118, black are at 2,394. So you're saying there's this great wealth disparity all across the board and we gotta fix white people, but white people in the second percentile, which is still poor white trash, let's keep it a buck, have over $48,000 more than black people. Let's get into the third percentile. This is supposed to be middle-class, right? This middle-class white. They got almost $172,000. If you consider this middle class for the same quintile, Black people have $20,000 at the same quintile. This is why I hate Matt Brunig, because he tries to play us like there isn't a wealth, dis and Sagar too, because Sagar tries to play us like there is, there is a wealth disparity at every single level between Blacks and whites. Yes, white people have wealth redistribution issues that need to be fixed, but you motherfuckers have class. Black people don't even have class like this. And you Fred Hampton leftists aren't even smart enough to understand or know. And this is why you need to go out and research and you need to talk to people. And you need to talk to economists because that's how you know what's going on. You're only as smart as the questions that you ask. And you guys aren't smart enough because you're not asking the right questions. You can be smarter. I'm not calling you dumb. I'm just saying you need to do better. So let's get into the fourth quintile. I'm gonna restart sharing my screen. So this is the fourth, that percentile, this is the fourth, this is the fourth quintile because there's only five. So white people have 434,817. So 435,000 versus less than 80,000. These people don't live in the same neighborhood. But again, the Fred Hampton leftists are talking about how we need to close how we need to fix class first amongst white people or else white people will come and kill us. So white people have more money than us and they're gonna come and kill us for us getting money that still won't equate to what they get. 
So let's say that these white people here in this 438 aren't going to get that wealth, great wealth transfer. Let's just say that they don't get shit. Let's say we get the same 272,000. So we go up to like 375, but we still have less money than these white people. And remember, they're still going to get a minimum of 212,000, which is going to take this shit well over 600,000. Y'all got to do the math. I know math is hard for some people. It's not easy for me either. But just think about all the money that that middle class Americans are about to give to their Gen Z and Gen X children. Look to your left. Look to your right. The white people protesting with you, somebody getting an inheritance. Y'all want a class war? Y'all need it. Y'all gonna have to come for these people money. And let's get into the top one that Matt Bruna likes to talk about how there's only, no, it's Saga that likes to talk about how there's only a real difference between the top or the bottom. But I already showed you all the places where there was a difference. So here's the fifth quintile. I'm going to pull this up. Oh, cool. It's already up. So this is the fifth quintile. You look in the fifth quintile, the average white family has over $4 million. The average black family has 618,000. These people don't live nowhere near each other. Fred Hampton leftists, you're talking about wealth inequality, but you don't understand that white wealth inequality and black wealth inequality is a vast wealth gap at every level. And even if you fix white people and readjust their wealth levels, black people, you still have to fix us, reparations. So you guys are terrible at this. You guys shouldn't have did this video and you need to holler at somebody, like for real, for real. Cause if you do another one of these, y'all still got another like 40 minutes from that video that we can drag y'all all day. Cause you know, don't make us have time. And let me pull up this fucking chart from bitch ass Mike Brunig because I blame Matt Brunig for this shit. So this is the thing when people be talking about, oh, well, there's wealth disparity between blacks and whites. So when you look at white people, right, you look at their chart and be like, oh, well, white people have this great wealth disparity. And you look at blacks, you're like, oh, they have the same. White people are sharing over a hundred trillion dollars. We are sharing three. So a hundred versus three. That's not the same, even if the charts look the same. And Matt Brunig made the charts look the same so he could dupe you motherfuckers. And then you have bitch-ass people like Sauger being on some bullshit. And then you got the Fred Hampton leftist. I don't know what the fuck is wrong with you. I don't know how to identify you, but right now I'm, I'm leaning towards an enemy, but I'm hoping y'all are just ignorant. So please just be ignorant, because if you're an enemy... I got time, cuz. They're, the the <laughs> They're doubling the wealth gap. Because we just saw that in the paperwork. I'm not tripping, right? I'm not tripping. No, right? you're not tripping. Oh my God, Darity. Darity, I can't wait to meet you, sir. Because <laughs> I am an untrained, I have a culinary degree. And you don't understand the stuff that I need you to clear up in my head. Because be I know I'm right, I know I'm right, I know I'm right. I just don't have the scholarship. <laughs> you don't need it, shit. You got you doing quite fine. You got the cooking shit. What the fuck you talking about? That's enough. That's real. It's real. Fuck that. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead, y'all. I'm done. I'm gonna shut up. Yeah. I, I think this is this is this is the nonsense, right? It's like we, um, us as the descendants of of slavery here in the United States. It's like we are, um, as Malcolm X said, it's like we're a political football, right? We're not in, we're not people to be served. Right. We're an entity to facilitate everybody else's growth. You know what I mean? 
And why on God's green earth is our destitution a prerequisite for everything the left wants to do, right? And for you, and for you black folks, that should be a signifier. If they put everything that makes you whole after 400 years on a back burner, I, I don't know what to tell you, right? At least with the Democrats and Republicans, we know how to deal with them, right? You're, in a, you're around, you're in a sea of fucking sharks and you don't even know it. And you got pork chop drawers on and you don't even know it because they smile at you. I'm telling you. It's real. These people, these people don't give a fuck about you. They nice and they cool, da 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 da. But when they get that wealth transfer, look around you, right? You interview a lot of these people that play these play these pole mouth games. I ain't gonna mention no names, but you interview one last week. <laughs> she got loot and she gonna get her transfer, and you niggas gonna be sucking wind. She got mad. <laughs> she got Bro, mad loot and resting. Mad loot. Let mad loot. Absolutely. We can save that shit for the. We can save that shit for the Negro meat. Yeah, no, yeah. that's going. Her wealth transfer gonna is going to be humongous. <laughs> yeah, you know I like, and the thing about it, nigga, wealth transfer is they say my 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 mom, my dad, or whatever, they got life insurance. That's not a wealth transfer, man. <laughs> It's not the same thing as your grandparents putting $25,000 a year in a bank account from the time you were born, like they was talking about in that wealth transfer argument. Let's get back Mm -hmm. to this shit because you know MG gonna have to leave soon. Mm-hmm. So I would like to get through the rest of this fucking video. We gonna but try. Y'all is terrible. Y'all is so terrible. Like I said, we just chose one little piece. Mm-hmm. Like we got three other clips. We only we we got five more minutes to go. Mm-hmm. Y'all did really bad on this. And Nick, you about to get slaughtered, baby. This is sad. It's That's a crazy thing. I agree with partially what Nick was saying. That's crazy but shit. Still, it's but still, mm-hmm. but then he but then he be on the bullshit at the end. Like I mm-hmm. said, I'm ready to red wedding you bitches. But <laughs> I'ma give, but I'ma give y'all a minute. I'ma give mm-hmm. y'all a minute to come correct. And like I said, y'all could be mad about the shit that I say. You may never want to talk to me and gotta talk to you, but you gon' talk to Darity. All right, mm-hmm. let's go. No, no, nope, we gotta play. We gotta play. It's chairman Nick, he's the chairman. We gotta play. Let's go. Let's go. What money? You know I gotta get Nick. Until we deal with the the other issues, those issues are still gonna be there. They're not going away. I'm not a black capitalist, so I don't. Because you ain't got no capital. I want Obviously. the conditions materially for everyone to be improved. Then we That's can get not reparations. Our responsibility. And That's I know- not our responsibility. To a third possibility, and you say, well, okay, why don't we just give out an equal amount to each black family, and we'll close the mean that way? And I've done the math on that. It's it's a little it's some it's a little over six hundred thousand. That's how much you'd have to give to each family to bring the nine hundred thousand for whites and 140 to blacks to bring them together Mm -hmm. Um, but when you do that and you give every black family whatever it is six hundred twenty thousand dollars or something like that what ends up happening is the poorest black family literally the poorest black family in the country is wealthier than 68 percent of white families Mm -hmm. so there are no there are no black families in the bottom two-thirds of society um, and curiously, there also would be very few black families at the very top of society because mm. 600,000. Would that be such a bad thing? I'm going to keep playing it till Mud tells us to stop, but it, would that be such a bad thing? 
thousand is not going to get you up into the one percent or anything like that. And, and by and by the way, as a as a side note, the meat the Latino wealth is very similar to black wealth, right? Like it's yes, yeah, it's almost like so. This would also leave that group just completely. Uh, yeah. out. All right, let's say stop, stop, fucking stop. <laughs> Think about the um. Yeah, this whole shit is like, okay, you just, you're taking off the mask and you're letting us know that you're white supremacist. Why the fuck does it mm -hmm. matter if black people are, have more money than 69% of, of white people? Who gives a After fuck? After 400 years and building the country, yeah. After 400 like, years and a lot of these white people are newer immigrants. It's not like a lot of these white, mm -hmm. remember, didn't Bernie Sanders people get here in the 30s? Yeah, One of my absolutely. ladies, her daddy got here in the 60s. The 60s! Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Like, here's the thing, like, there shouldn't even be a comparison. Like, we're talking about justice for mistreatment, that it was done to mm -hmm. one group, not done That's to all, just one group. So mm -hmm. if we're talking about doing justice in that regard, then why the fuck would you bring white people into it unless you, you want us to be inferior to white people? Like, you mm -hmm. want us inferior position. Or, or your intention is for us to clash. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. I said I wasn't going to talk about it. God damn it. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. But like, yeah, I mean, this is, this is the correct answer. Like, obviously this is the answer that makes the most sense, but like he, he, like what he's doing is poisoning all of these ideas. First he threw out the bad ideas because he knew, you know, we would be on side on, on his side with poisoning those ideas. Mm -hmm. But this idea, what he's trying to do is like, like you said, pit us against, you know, the white people. Mm -hmm. And also, like he, like it is this thing where like white people just have it in their minds that we should not be better than the poorest white person. Like mm -hmm. we should, like our our general level should be subservient, and that's bottom. how they've always felt. Mm -hmm. Leave us at the bottom. Yeah, absolutely. And that and that's that's why I always say when somebody comes with policy for black people, will we still be at the bottom at the end? You know what I mean? Then of course they come out. But well, what about somebody else is going to be at the bottom? Why are you making that my problem? We're the oppressed, not the oppressor. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I'm sorry, John, you were up next. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mud. Will you finish first? Will you finish? Hey, go ahead. Go ahead. John? We do this reparations the way it's supposed to be done. That means that 20% of black, the lowest black families are going to be more wealthy than the. I'm like, you're talking about how it is now? Or we, we, I mean, so you're talking about how it is now? And not only that, like, don't you think, real talk, listen, man. This has been the position of Asians in this country since like the motherfucking late 1970s and nobody got no fucking smoke for them. Nobody Nine. says you playing into capitalism. Nobody says you not with it. You ain't you ain't for the people. Nobody say nothing to these motherfuckers, but the group that's here and real talk and what and what who built and what the country MG was yeah, and built the country, been through all the fucking pain and struggle, had to deal with all this shit that helped come here. Real talk. You mad for at least real shit a few decades? Real shit, we gonna be we gonna be wealthy. Yeah, and he said he said we could do that, and they won't be as wealthy as the wealthiest family. So, uh, so basically, you saying that the majority of our family is gonna be upper middle class and middle class. We gonna have a stable community now, and white people mm -hmm. won't have that. And if you're like, so? no, they'll still have that. Yeah, they'll still have the stable communities I, that they have. They would see, see that, but he's making an argument saying that if we stabilize black people, the poor mm -hmm. whites. If I'm at meeting, if I'm like Russia, we'll be above them. Yep, we should too. But now, mm -hmm. for at least, a, good, at least a few decades, y'all mm -hmm. gotta eat the pain. Mm -hmm. We ain't ate the pain since we got here. You can't eat the mm -hmm. pain for at least a, a century. And you know, like Sam said, we so good. 
Like, we're so good at people, we get the bread. We'll still be like, all right, and that shit probably lasts 50 years. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. quote unquote, wealthy. By the end of the day, you still have white. By the end of you not bringing in the you not bringing in a lot of shit. He's doing a lot of games with the numbers and shit. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. he's an economist. He did his he did his work, he did his homework, and I respect him as an economist. Nigga, I don't real talk like I talk to real I talk to real I talk to real economists, people that really do the studies in this shit. At the end of the day, my ancestors, the common sense of my ancestors telling me, like, yo, bro. You gonna be mad that the most poorest group in this country that been the poorest group in this country since the country was founded will be wealthier, but they, their poorest will be wealthier than their poorest for a few years. You feel me like real shit for a few decades or honey? Feel me like after feel me like after all the shit that's old to us. And you mm-hmm. thinking that's that shit don't make us. You think no, he he bugging and real shit like he's doing some real slippery sliding, slipping and sliding. Mm-hmm. Man, like real talk, man. That's, I don't why give very, that's why they're both very careful with the language. Right? Yeah, um, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll let you because, go, MG. My bad. Yeah. Did, well, let me let Sam go first, and then, then, then... yeah, because you switched the order, mm-hmm. sir. My bad. <laughs> Mud on your definitely get him the fight. I was after Go get him. Go get him. But um, no, no, no. I just no, no. That's all good. No, I just. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted you to close it out. You wanted you to bring it home. He like yo, Sam. I no, no, he was like, Sam, bro, you go to the song. I never saw Mean Girls, but you just reminded me of the of the black principal when he, like, raised his hand when they were like, who has been abused? I saw and everybody's, like, raising their hand. Oh, uh, hell no. Nah. Hell no, nah, Sam. Nah. Hell no. Nah. Go ahead, Khaleesi. Do your thing. Do no, your thing, I just, I just find it so funny, like, how you guys said, where he's like, well, black people would just be in the middle, would end up having more money than the bottom line. Well, let's talk about contribution, right? So everybody likes to talk about how white people were, you know, how white people had to work in the North. And now, mind you, I know American history. I know that y'all got, you know, you guys had, you know, poverty wages. You know, they they worked y'all lots of hours for little money. But at the end of the day, you got paid. And got guess how you got... And guess how you got paid? You got paid because that cotton that you were turning into textiles in the North, we picked that. So if we didn't pick that cotton, you didn't have no job. So we have always been a jobs program for white people. Even now, when you look at these um, these prisons in the middle of these small towns, ain't no black people in the town but the ones in the prison. Black prison, prison full of black people, nothing but white guards, all white town. So again, we are a jobs program for people. So basically when you take out our, like Yvette says, with the eating the failure, right? When you take out us eating the failure, then all of a sudden everybody's looking around like, well, what are we going to do? What about us? And why is it such a problem for us to have what we should have had? Like we built this country and I don't understand if y'all understand this or not. And maybe because we needed Baldwin, but like Baldwin said, I built the railroads. He said, I picked the cotton. I took the cotton to market. Let me put it this way. That from a very literal point of view, the harbors and the ports and the railroads of the country The economy, especially of the southern states, could not conceivably be what it has become if they had not had, and do not still have indeed, and for so long, so many generations, cheap labor. I am stating very seriously, and this is not an overstatement, I picked the cotton and I carried it to market. 
and I built the railroads. Under someone else's whip, for nothing, for nothing, the southern oligarchy, which has until today so much power in Washington, and therefore some power in the world, was created by my labor and my sweat, and the violation of my women and the murder of my children. This, in the land of the free and the home of the brave. And no one can challenge that statement. It is a matter of historical record. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we built this country and you guys do not, you do not respect our contribution. But without us, y'all, most of y'all who just got here in the past 20, 30 years wouldn't even have wanted to come here because this place was a cesspool. Like, Mm -hmm. we built this country up. Without us, there was no real capital to go forward. And let's just keep it a buck because if everybody could have did what they would say that they could have just did, they would have did in their own country. Y'all all all had to come Mm. here. And I'm talking about your ancestors too. I'm not talking about people in the past 30 years specifically. I'm talking about all y'all going all the way back to when y'all came here, when y'all brought people here on ships, when you enslaved the native population, when you did all of that. That's what I'm talking about. Like you have always needed us to make stuff better for you because if you could have did it at home you wouldn't have had to come over here to do it so you need to start respecting our contribution Mm -hmm. that's it that's it and that's all so when you be like oh well then we yes because we deserve it we built the country like literally we built this thing and you guys have had too many years to feel like it was all done just out of a miracle like i see people be like oh slavery slavery was barely part of slavery was the biggest market economy going at that time not just on this continent, but in Europe as well. Like if we really want to get froggy, we need to start talking about suing England and a few other places for our damn money. So like, yeah, yeah, so that's Mm -hmm. the thing. Like everybody wants to sit here and play games, but we, we, we were the hottest thing smoking. If you take out our free years of contribution and then even after that all this land that you stole from us all these people that you burned out of their homes all these people that you lynched and took their property all of, a lot of that stuff is still in your families now some of y'all need to start doing some research especially it's not even i, I was going to say for, especially for those of you who live in the south but i read sundown towns and i read buried in bitter, bitter waters y'all was burning down people and running us out of towns all over the country but oh. specifically in you, if you live in the south you need to do some research search because you probably know somebody whose family is living on land that they rent that somebody rents negroes up off of that's not nope. our responsibility no nope. got anything because i got a clip from john on that shit like or not even i'll put it in later but mm-hmm. john has a clip where he says that they try to push every the responsibility of everybody else's poverty on us we are an oppressed group. We are the most oppressed group in this country. Yes, we're more fucking oppressed than Native Americans because Facts. some of those goddamn tribes are getting a check. No mm-hmm. black people are getting a check. So yes, we are more oppressed. Mm-hmm. So fuck you. If we're going to play the oppression Olympics, black people will win the fucking gold. In this country, absolutely. Sorry. Sorry. Mm-hmm. So it is what it is. What it is. We're not carrying anybody else on our backs no more either you fight with us and we fight for what we want together or fuck you and that includes you negroes again i use this metaphor all the time 
The house is burning down. We are all in it together. I will chain the locks and watch us all burn together down and die in this bitch before I let these white leftists run up out this hole and survive this fire. Before mm-hmm. I let the POCs run up out this shit and survive this fire. And you stupid Negroes still gonna be in the fire dying with me if I don't freaking let hold them in here with us. You basically letting them run out the house. They set the fire. They help set the fire. They fucking pour gasoline to make the fire go faster. And y'all giving them cover and letting them run out the house while your house burns down with you in it. Fuck mm-hmm. you. I'm not saying sorry to them. I'm saying sorry to y'all. Because nah, I'm trying to work on being less vulgar. But again, 85% of our of our um of our uh of our fan bases of our uh, watchers are male. So y'all feel me. <laughs> yeah, at the end of the day, real she like real, you talking about chairman, chairman Nick. You know I we seen you, Chairman Nick. We we know mm. listen, because chairman Nick, mm. this was chair, this was quote I, I call him quote unquote chairman. <laughs> you know, you know, I'm not gonna mm. say the quote unquote Negro or whatever he's so called, or he's a mm. so so-called chairman Nick. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what he did. Like, real shit. Like, this is gonna get late in the episode. We talk about I agree with cash reparations and this and that and blah blah blah. But we got medical debt. So at the end of the day, because the we're poor, is gonna take the money mm-hmm. because they work in the medical. So you need Medicare for all before you get your restitution. That's what I heard from you, Chairman Nick. Hey, so, how about this? Out, man. Hey, uh, hey, uh, how about this? You write in the reparations that none of the reparations money can be taken to pay prior debts. <gasps> oh my God, that shit's done. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Fix the problem. <laughs> Fix the problem. Oh, my, whole argument you know, with in two seconds. Is, mm. hey, yo, son, hey, yo, this is the crazy part, man. It's like, how you gonna do with your money? It's pay off debt, bills. It's like, the capitalist is going to find a way to but guess what, though? It's COVID time. People can't work. Everybody needs a check. But check, a check won't Exactly. Solve people's problems. But it'll solve everybody else's problem. Boom. Mm-hmm. But it's not. But think about it. But you're not. It's the check in. The check mm-hmm. has to come with. The check in this. The check in that. The check with this. It's not about check. And then they. And then when they say check. They, you think a hundred dollar check is going to save you? <laughs> like they're not understanding the gravity of what we're talking about. Not at all. They don't want to not understand it because they get paid to not understand it. So it's like yeah, we're talking about a real wealth transfer. We're talking about a massive amount of capital directly directed right towards the people that's getting beat up by the police, the poorest people in the country, low literacy rates, all these women, health rates. All, they're getting a massive amount of capital. Real shit, like you know what I mean? Like we can get the, we can get, we can get the. I'm not an economist. You can try to break it down though. Like mm-hmm. real <laughs> money, like real money. Not know a thousand dollars a week. You fucking nuts, man. But think about it. You want to do that because you want to make white people feel like you can get thousand dollars. So I get thousand dollars. See that? It's the same thing with Bill Maher. I smoke weed. You know, as a consequence, that means so I get a thousand dollars. Black people they don't have no money, so they get thousand. No, no, <laughs> that's not what we're talking about. You're out of your fucking mind. Talking about vote for the Green Party. You out your mind, man. Hey, yeah, vote so for the Green Party when the Green Party is fight man. for global reparations hey, yo, for hey, all black people. Hey, Sam, I- I'm going to be quiet after this, but Sam, don't cut this out. Hey, Rome, stop doing this shit, Rome. Hey, Rome, hey, yo, I don't know what you're doing, Rome, but I got a feeling that maybe you want this to get... I'm 
Let's go back to the video. Let's go back to the video. We still got we still got mad time. Like today I got time because Okay, let's roll, let's roll, let's roll. It's starting to get late. You know that everybody that there are people who argue we're always putting black issues on the back burner. Yeah, the number are. one black mm -hmm. issue to me is the climate because we no, can't. No, it's not. No, it's not because we don't have enough power to control what's going on with that shit. Mm -hmm. We need money. If you give us money, we can put our money with the white activists who actually give a fuck about the climate, and we can help them fight for the climate. Right now, all we can do is kind of show up. And when we show up, they get beat up more because there's too many Negroes around. Live on a planet that is uninhabitable to humans. So that's the first thing we gotta address. I don't give a fuck. Then I hope this bitch burn. We like JB said, Let we it need burn. universal health care. We need we know we need a, a living wage for everyone. And here's my thing, like we do. You say living wage, but you're not saying federal job guarantee. And they didn't bring up federal job guarantee in this thing. I didn't hear him bring it up. All of I these might social wrong, programs, and the then we get reparations. Mm -hmm. We'll be in a way better place. How about you do them at the same time? Why does reparations have to come last? And when I say do them at the first time, I mean sign the reparations bill and then with the same pen at the same desk, right after sign the bullshit for everybody else. But again, white people about to get this money. So I vote, we wait till 2053 to do the great well chance or see, look, let me tell you this shit, I don't know. I need some good whites to start getting in the comments because I was rooting for you. Stop it! I have never in my life yelled at a girl like this. When my mother yells at this, it's because she loves me. I was rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. How dare you learn something from this? When you go to bed at night, you lay there and you take responsibility for yourself. But this great wealth transfer, I need I need the 40 million poor whites to holler at a bitch because you other motherfuckers, I'm about to start a class war on you motherfuckers. We about to ride out. <laughs> we gonna ride out. It's gonna be a class war on whites and people of color. Mm, I, 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 <laughs> there's, there's something, there's something, there is a, because I had the same, This I get the same vibe from them that I got from uh mark thompson and no no oh, mark yeah. thompson and the and the pan-africanist is like yeah i feel that they, they there's some sort of insecurity or or something that makes them feel responsible that makes them think that they're they're less they're worth less than other people right or their uplift has less value than the uplift of other people therefore I can put my uplift on the back burner and sling myself on the cross because you white folks or whoever the fuck it is, the rest of Pan-Africa or Pangea, whatever the fuck they want to call it at this point are more important than I am. And me on the cross, I'm going to, I'm going to put my family on a back burner. I'm going to put my people on a back burner. I'm going to watch black children starve until everybody else is fixed fuck a you not even that not even that we are going to give up our fight that was started by our ancestor callie house uh, in church 
and they were selling a pamphlet, a guy came through town, this was in Murfreesboro, which is a small town outside Nashville, came through selling a pamphlet, and it was called A Plea for the Ex-Slaves. And he was a white guy who had this idea that the South, the white people of the South, had not benefited from anything since slavery, and the South was an economic disaster basket case, and that if he could figure out how to get some money into the pockets of the slaves, the ex-slaves, they would spend it on the plantation and the masters would get it. And they would have money and that this was an indirect way to get them some money. And in this pamphlet, he said that he had gotten some congressman who he gave some money to, to introduce a bill in Congress to get some pensions for these slaves. And he said in the pamphlet, all of that sounded interesting to the people who read it. And what they did is they bought the pamphlet, they put their money together to buy it. They couldn't afford to buy all these pamphlets, so they would buy one and they would, everybody would read it. And she read it. And what they didn't like about it and what she didn't like about it is he said in there that they were better off when they were slaves because they had food to eat and somewhere to sleep and the masses were good to them. And now that they weren't slaves anymore, they didn't have anybody to take care of them, but that they ought to join him in trying to get the the Congress to give this money, but he said in the pamphlet that he was going, the money was going to be spent and given to the white people. And so she was offended by that. And she said, to, she said, the idea sounds good, but why do we need him? And he's not doing anything anyway except selling us his book and making some money off of it. So she said to a friend of hers who was a minister there in town and who had at one point worked as an agent for this white guy, how did he go about getting this congressman to introduce that bill? How do you get a congressman to introduce something? And what do people do? How do they do this? And he explained to her about lobbying and all that kind of stuff. And how do you organize and all that? And so he said, well, here's how he did it. I mean, I don't know if that's the way to do it. She said, well, I'm going to start something. We can do it. We don't need him. So what they did is they started out in the churches right in Murfreesboro. They went to church, and they went around to churches and talked to people. And they started in the Primitive Baptist Church. A Primitive Baptist, by that it means that came out of the slave church. So you sang songs without any kind of accompaniment, and they washed each other's feet as Jesus did with his disciples. It's called Primitive Baptist. I happen to be a Primitive Baptist. But anyway, the Baptist Church, and she talked to people, and, and people were very interested. And she said, we are going to get Congress to pass us something. And then she, she always talked about the Constitution because she went to the, prim the primary school grades in the schools that had been set up by the Freedmen's Bureau there in town. And she knew about the Constitution. So she said, in the Constitution, there's a thing about petitioning your government. She meant petitioning your government. And we're going to petition the government and get the government to do this for us. And so, but then she had another idea. She said, instead of just doing that, First, we'll get everybody's name on here who's been a slave. And if they can't write, somebody else can write it for them. And we're going to put down the name and who owns you and how old you are and where you were owned. And we're going to send all of those things up there to Congress and ask them to give you a pension. And then if they, if they don't give it to you, someday they will give it somehow and your name will be up there. And so we want to get your names. And then the next thing we want to do is set up chapters all around wherever black people are Negroes are, so that we can work to help each other. She said, because working together to help each other will keep us together. She said, the hardest thing is going to be trying to keep us together. 
So what we're going to do is we're going to take our few little pennies and put them together, and when somebody's sick, we're going to get them a doctor if they need it or take care of them. If somebody dies, we're going to bury them because they didn't have insurance. Immigrant groups did something similar at the same period of time. And she said, and if somebody uh, is a widow, an orphan, we're going to take you know, care of them. And that'll keep us together, and we'll have chapter meetings. And so she traveled through the churches, and then she it worked. The people there all loved the idea. People signed up for the thing and paid their five cents dues and all the rest of it. If they didn't have five cents, they paid a penny or whatever they had or promised to pay it at a later time. So she then decided to move to Nashville because Nashville has transportation in and out, trains and everything. And Murfreesboro is kind of hard to go anywhere. And so her brother and his wife moved with her and her children and they moved next door to each other. And the children by then, some of them were teenagers, and the smaller ones, the other ones could help with, and the brother and the wife, the wife took in uh, a laundry too, helped her with the kids. She started traveling all around, all over the South, going to churches. She got a charter of the organization, which I found, which was done by the Primitive Baptist ministers in Nashville with their name on it to set up this thing. So it grew out of the Baptist church and they were the charter members. And she went everywhere, signing up people and talking to people and telling them about the constitution. She just loved, it was like Barbara Jordan talking about the constitution. My faith in the constitution is whole. We can titian, we can titian, let's go titian. And uh, they, and it just grew like wildfire. And the federal government got very concerned. This was in 1897. They had their first big national convention in Nashville in 1898. And the federal government got concerned. Malcolm X used to say that if a whole lot of black people get together and start doing something and white people don't know what they're doing, they get scared. So they said, what are these people doing? They keep going to these churches, having these meetings, and they all come out singing and feeling good about themselves. What in the world are they doing here in these little towns and hamlets all over? So they sent out inspectors to go to the meetings to spy on them to see what they were doing or to come outside and look to see what they were doing and report back. And I found some of these reports. And they said, well, we couldn't see them doing anything except they would meet and they would sing <laughs> And then they would take notes of who gave money and who was renting, and then uh, the building, the money collected to rent the space, the, where the basement where they were having the meeting. And then they would talk about how somebody can't pay their money, and then they'd talk about how many people they had to bury and uh, who was sick and all that, and that's all they did. <laughs> and then they would sign up people and ask people, how many petitions have you had signed? They said, we don't see what they're doing. It's wrong. So <coughs> that disturbed the bosses, the bosses said, look, you've got to find something that they're doing because this is dangerous. They've got at least 300,000 members. <coughs> we have counted in their chapters, there are at least 300,000 people who signed up to this thing. That's a lot of people. So they said, how can we stop them? And this woman is in charge of it. Who told this woman she could be in charge of anything? So they said, Ah, we have the postal laws that keep certain things from being sent through the mails. The Comstock laws, the fraud laws, the laws that kept lotteries out of the mails, that kept birth control devices out of the mails. They said, if these people have something that is somehow sinful or illegal in some way that we can think of, we can keep it out of the mails and they won't be able to communicate and then they won't have a movement. So they said they are engaged in fraud. Now, here's what the fraud was. 
the fraud was they're trying to get the government to do something that they know the government's not going to do. And that's fraud. They have organized a group and are collecting dues and paying for things and doing stuff. And she's collecting money from them under the pretense that they're going to get the government to do something and the government's never going to do it. So that's fraud. So they sent a letter to her while she was down in New Orleans. It's a New Orleans chapter. She got it saying, there's an order issued. You will never be able to send anything through the mails or receive anything through the mails. And the organization can and none of the officers can, period. She was so mad because she didn't know why they were doing it. She was mad anyway. And she wrote a letter. Instead of just sitting and crying, she wrote a letter. I have two of her letters. She wrote a letter to the guy who was in charge that had sent the thing. And it started out with, have you read the Constitution? <laughs> and she told him off in every way possible and said, all we're trying to do is get ourselves together and y'all freed us and now the man who had the right to work us to death has the right to starve us to death. And you got these old people who are decrepit, who are 80 and plus years old, who can hardly move from all the manual labor. You got all these people who were supposed to get pensions who were in the service and they won't give them to them, talking about they don't have documentation. You got people who are widows and they won't give it to them, talking about they don't have documentation. We are just asking you to help us. And so what is wrong with that and why are you bothering us? Of course, all they said back, they didn't say anything to her in the notes. This woman is defiant. Does she thinks Negroes can do whatever they wish to do? We will show her. Postmasters were ordered not to let any mail go to anybody or come. And several of the postmasters, there's one in particular that I talk about in the book, said that any mail that came to his post office that was for any black person in the community, he just wouldn't give it to him because he figured it might have something inside about this organization. And therefore, if he just didn't give it to him, <laughs> then they wouldn't be able to operate. So what does she have to do? She said, I'm not giving up. These chapters are running. I need to go around and see people. They had agents all over the country. They had chapter heads. They had them not just in the South, Kansas, Oklahoma, here in Massachusetts. They had them everywhere. Anywhere there was any black person, that was a chapter. New York City, everywhere. And she said, I'll just travel more. And I will use the Railway Express, which was more expensive, which means that the expenses got to be really, really, really enormous. But it kept going. And the government kept them under surveillance. They kept sending petitions. They hired a lawyer in Washington to lobby for them because everybody else had a lawyer lobbying for them. And the lawyer got five bills introduced into Congress to give rep the pensions, $12 a month if you're over 80, $4 if you're under 50. And the bills didn't get out of committee, but the reason why we have the petitions today that we can look at is because they were sent there and then the committee sent them to the National Archives, which is where I found the petitions, and I have some of them in there. I also found the records of some of the chapters. And I talk about one of the two of the chapters in the book because the federal government said, oh, this organization is just a sham. They don't have any chapters. They don't have anything. Yet they did have chapters. And they, in fact, had in the government files some of the ledgers that they got from some of the chapters. And they kept saying they didn't have any chapters. So when they kept after them, Callie House decided that maybe we'll reorganize and try to deal with whatever the problem is the government thinks. We'll take all of our books and everything, give it to them, 
and maybe they'll leave us alone. So she hired a lawyer, a white lawyer, who had experience with these matters, and he went down to represent them and said, we'll tell you anything you want to know. Do you want to know how many people we buried? Do you want to know what chapters buried them? Here are the chapters you can get in touch with these people. They didn't do any of that. They just wrote in their notes, what do they think they are doing, hiring another lawyer? Who are these people? So then she said, by 1912, this is going nowhere. We're not getting anything passed. The chapters were thriving, though. The mutual assistance stuff, the self-help was really going, and it did keep the people together. She was right about that. And they had more and more names signed to these petitions, but they couldn't get the legislation passed. She hired a lawyer to bring a suit in court. And she hired one of two black lawyers who was very well known nationally, and he was very well known by the national black bourgeoisie, who, and two of them had argued cases before the Supreme Court routinely, and he was one of them, a guy named Cornelius Jones. He said, I'll take the case. I don't know if I can win. I think the odds are against us, but if you want to take this case, I'll do it. And he took the case, and it went all the way up to the Supreme Court. They lost on the grounds that the government can't be sued unless the government permits itself to be sued, which is called sovereign immunity. But he took the case, and Callie House's view was, we need to try anything, everything that comes to hand, like Malcolm said. She didn't say like Malcolm said, I said that. But everything that comes to hand. They, they, we've been petitioning the government, now we can sue and see if we can... You know, maybe we won't win, but at least the people can see that there's movement and that we're trying to do something. And what she do? She found out before they sued that there was some cotton tax money that was in the federal treasury. She read about it in the paper. And she took the article to Cornelius Jones and said, look at this. They said that there's this money that's been there since the Civil War, the Confederates, and it's a specific size, amount of money, millions of dollars. Why don't we ask for that money? because we picked the cotton, and so we ought to tell them to give us that money. So when he, he wrote a letter to the Treasury and asked them if the money was still there before he sued, and they said yes. So then he sued, and then after he sued, the Secretary of the Treasury had a press conference and said, there's no money there from, well, I don't know what this man is talking about. And the case went far. And then when they lost the case at the Supreme Court, the same people in the Pension Bureau and the Post Office Department tried to put him in jail, Cornelius Jones, for being willing to be their lawyer to bring this suit and said he was engaged in fraud because he was encouraging them to believe that there was some way for the government to do something. And they tried, and they couldn't put him in jail. They couldn't figure out many of the lawyers at the bar who knew him and all these people, judges, and everybody came and testified and said, this is ridiculous, and he's got a case before the Supreme Court. You can't do this. But Callie House was a nobody, okay, a poor woman who was not a distinguished lawyer or anything like that. And she was leading a movement that was across gender lines. There were men and women in this movement. There were women at that time that led movements, black women, involving women whether it was laundry of women who went on strike in Atlanta or the club women. These were women's organizations. But here you got a woman who's leading an organization with 300,000 members, according to the government, which means they probably had more. And at a time, and there she is, this poor black woman, and she's nobody. She's not anybody. Uh, the black middle class leaders didn't come to her defense ever. She tried to get them to help. They said, why are you doing this? This is a distraction. We need to be working on voting rights and on education bills that they were trying to get through the Congress, the three remaining black leaders who were still in Congress. 
And she said to them, I don't understand. You've been trying to get those bills passed and they haven't passed. Why can't you help me to try to do this? I'm not saying you have to stop doing that. And they said, no, you're, what you're doing is just a distraction. And Booker T. Washington said, you're just going to make white people mad, so you shouldn't do this. And so Booker T. Washington did a lot of good things, but his, his attitude was, she was right, she did make white people mad, so he was right about that. So, but she kept on doing it anyway. So finally then they decided the movement is still growing. She hasn't, they had inspectors and people keeping her under surveillance and following her, and they decided to prosecute her directly. So they prosecuted her in 1917 for using the mails to defraud and convicted her in the district court in Nashville, all-white male jury. Women didn't serve on those juries. And she went to jail in Jefferson City, Missouri. They sent women to uh, prisons in the states then. There was no federal women's prison. And she served her time a little over a year in that prison. And the interesting thing about the prison was that she left no diary or anything like that, but Emma Goldman was in prison with her. And Emma Goldman wrote this great thing about prison life and what she was doing in the prison. And what they did, and Emma Goldman, and those of you who know about her, Emma Goldman was really a seamstress. That's what she was before she became an activist, and so was Callie. And what they had them doing in the prison was sewing uniforms and clothes for clothing manufacturers. So I was able to get a really good picture of what the prison life was like based on what Goldman reported and some articles and stuff about the prisons. And then the warden of the prison was very kind in giving me pictures of what the prison was like and what their cells were like and all the rest of it, which I put in the book. So that she served her time, she came out of prison, and it was, but her trial, it was really pathetic. It was not reported in the reports, but it was reported in the white newspapers that wrote about this all the time to make fun of them. They wrote about this. They said, they reported that black people were outside the, the courthouse crying and moaning and saying she kept it alive, she kept it alive, and they didn't know what was going to happen now that she was being put in jail. And while she was in jail, the petition phase of the movement ended, but the chapters didn't. When she got out, the chapters were still going. I found chapters later. that I've got a picture of some people in the Atlanta chapter in 1935. Uh, and the legacy of Callie House continued. She went back home to Nashville, and she lived in a poor, that's a neighborhood where I lived at a, as a baby, a shotgun house. She never had any money. The government claimed she was making money or something. She never had any. Her children never had any. They were all laborers and working-class types, and she got uterine cancer, and she died. And the legacy, though, is her movement, the agents in her movement, the chapters went into the Garvey movement. When Marcus Garvey came to the States, the same people, the same names of people in these little towns and all around who were in her movement became Garveyites. And in the New Orleans chapter, there was a remarkable woman in the Garvey movement who came out of that whose name was Audrey Moore. And Audrey Moore, who later is called Queen Mother Moore, became the heart and soul of the reparations movement. Queen Mother Moore, uh, a leader of three generations of black political activity and cultural reawakening in the United States. And uh, I suppose we should perhaps start from uh, the early days in the South when uh, things were happening which 
are rarely recorded for the present generation to know about. I would say there never was a time that we were not in struggle. Uh, I don't think that anybody needed to come on the scene to lead us either. Innately, in our very bones, we wanted to be free, always. And my father was a sheriff, a deputy sheriff in Louisiana. And uh, my little brother, who was playing with a little rich white boy next door, began, the little boy began to cry, went to his mother, and when the father came home, he called my brother out and horse-raced him. My brother was around 10 years old. And when my father came home and heard about it, he called that white man out and horse-raced him. <clears throat> now that's my background. Mm. Um, those were days before Jim Crow had actually been established firmly in the South. It was right after Reconstruction. And uh, I can still remember uh, my mother going to French Opera in New Orleans. I can remember my uh, father and mother dancing the shadows. And uh, my father belonged to the Bronzamese Society. And generally, the people were getting along fairly well. Then, of course, came uh, a reversal, a complete reversal, on all the progress that had been made with the establishment of the Black Court Laws. Black code laws had many restrictions against us. The black code laws established the Jim Crow. It established the uh, fact that our people couldn't vote. That unless you had three hundred dollars worth of property, you couldn't vote. Or if your grandfather had voted, then you could vote. And uh, it established the white primary. And just in case you could meet your poll tax and all other qualifications, there was the white primary that you certainly could not uh, do anything about because if there was a blanket uh, law saying that no black could vote in the white primaries. At that time, we had black uh, leaders of every sort, political leaders, rose in the South. We had black senators and congressmen in the U.S. Congress, the House of Representatives. We had a uh, black lieutenant governor who had become governor of Louisiana. We had, in my lifetime, black custom inspectors and uh, black chief of police and black uh, 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 builders, uh, construction builders of great uh, buildings there, uh, architects and engineers. Um, and I can remember those. So that uh, there was a great change. And the people began to uh, fight back as best they could, the entrenchment against us. So uh, by the time 
that Marcus Garvey came on the scene in Louisiana, we were already in struggle, and therefore it was not accidental that we joined in large numbers the UNIE. Did black people lose some of the land that they had acquired in the course of the Jim Crow period? Oh my goodness, yes, land. People would run off their land by the plan, and uh, white people riding in their homes on the horseback, whipping the people, running them out of town, and tarring and feathering people, and there was uh, great repression as far as the, uh, the land question was concerned. We used to think it was only jealousy, but it was much deeper than that. Because Abner Berry told me that in the 30s, when they were developing the line on self-determination, uh, the black farmers in the South understood it as getting back the land that had been taken away from them. That's right. You know, we had been promised land during the Civil War. Uh, uh, there was uh, talk about 40 acres and a mule, and also um, General Sherman had issued a field order, number 15, saying that we were given land 30 miles from the shore that land function in all along the course of the Carolina. So we would have 30 miles in. So there was a great feeling of uh, deception on the part of the government against us, and uh, that we had been cheated, you see. When the Garvey movement first uh, came to Louisiana, was this through representatives or through Marcus Garvey himself? Well, Garvey himself came. I, I don't recall if he had been invited, I'm sure he was, by uh, our enlightened people. Mm -hmm. But when he did come, the police wouldn't allow him to speak to us. And um, we heard about it, and we went there as a matter of fact, and God it didn't appear, and we heard that the police had uh, prevented him from coming, and everybody vowed to go back the next night with a guarantee that we were going to hear God. So we went, all of us went well armed. Everybody had guns and uh, big bags of ammunition. The police filed in the hall and they stood up all along the side of the benches. Um, man to man, they stood on both sides of the aisle and of course across the front of the platform. And, uh, and they out of eye, out of eye, they, they stood. So when Garvey came in, everybody stood up and applauded. And uh, Garvey said, my friends, I wish to apologize to you for not speaking to you last night. But the mayor of the town, the mayor of New Orleans, permitted himself to be used by the police, the chief, to prevent my speaking to you. And when he said that, the police jumped up on the platform and said, I'll run you in. And when he did that, we stood up on the benches and everybody's gun came out. And with our hand up in the air, a gun pointed. Blue Steel, Smith & Westerns, 44s, 38s, all kinds of guns. Mm -hmm. 
and everybody had a bag of ammunition. We said, speak, Garvey, speak. And Garvey said, and as I was saying, he went and repeated himself. So the police filed out of Longshoreman Hall in New Orleans. This was the Longshoreman Hall. The Longshoreman Hall. Now, a lot of people don't know this, but in 1872, black men organized the first Longshoreman organization. Huh? This was a and union. 18, yes. And uh, controlled the entire waterfront. Nothing came in and out of the port of Louisiana without going, including the custom director, uh, commissioner. Uh, but what they came through blacks. And uh, of course, you know, they used to put on the White House, I mean, on the uh, jailhouse the names of the whites who would support blacks. And it was a real campaign like the MacArthur area. You mean it was that, they, you mean if they saw a white person who was working with the black community, they oh, would ostracize them? Oh yeah, oh they, they would more than, oh they tore and feather. And also they put their names up and they couldn't get jobs and so on, those who voted for blacks, you see. So we didn't have that prejudice, they made the prejudice. See, the white people made the prejudice. That certain little element of whites made the prejudice. And I can remember when this was done. Mm -hmm. After she got out of slavery petitioning for slave pensions, where she got locked up and put in jail, we are supposed to stop a fight that started in 1865? to fix motherfuckers who most of you motherfuckers just got here and I mean you Ellis Island motherfuckers if you mm -hmm. came after 1865 I'm talking about you mm -hmm. all of y'all so you want us to put our shit on the back burner when you fuckers who came after 1865 white and people of color have been oppressing black people for generations and we are supposed to stop our reparations fight so you can get a leg up, you got me fucked up. I'll fight with you for us all to get our shit as in I get my reparations and we fight for the class shit together. But if you got to come before me, fuck you and fuck your family. Like I would be telling with the POC, fuck you, fuck you, fuck your family. Like I said, my God sisters, my God sisters are low-key <laughs> no, white trash. No. I choose violence. <laughs> Please tell His High Holiness he's always welcome to visit. Listening to Reset Race, you now tuned in to Reset Race. Uh, uh, you're listening to Reset Race, you now tuned in to Reset Race. Put them back on the grill again, we grilling them. Put them back on the grill again, we grilling them. Put them back on the grill again, we grilling them. Back on the grill again, we grilling them. Uh, 
Listen in the reset race. Ain't those new reparations to make America make great. America uh, great. You're tuned in the reset race. We no longer starving while others eat off our plate. No. You're listening to Reset Race. We focused on our justice claim. We know what is at stake. Uh, you're tuned in to Reset Race. You'll find out we're really about justice and really who think. Early edge go back to U.S. Southern plantations. Penny is Jim Crow and mass incarceration. Redlining lynchings. We are old from this nation. You're not about justice if you ain't for reparations. IMG the wise one. Cousin mother intellectual. Samantha bringing fire. Anti-black. We pressing you. No permanent friends and no permanent Enemies, the backbone of the country, the win. You need our energy. You gon' see. Listening to reset race. You now tuned in the reset race. Uh, uh. You're listening to reset race. You now tuned in the reset race. Uh. Put them back on the grill again. We grilling them. Put them back on the grill again. We grilling them. Put them back on the grill again. We grilling them. Back on the grill again. We grilling them. Uh. You're listening to Reset Race. Adults need reparations to make America make great. America uh, great. You're tuned in to Reset Race. We no longer starving while others eat off our plate. No. You're listening to Reset Race. We focused on our justice claim. We know what is at stake. Uh, you're tuned in to Reset Race. You'll find out we're really about justice and really who fake. Uh, Until you do right by me, everything you think about is going to crumble. to get our check. 